0: Hey, y'all. We're back with another episode of Black Woman Healing Podcast. And as usual, we have a good guest and this topic is real juicy. But before we hop in, we want to go ahead and talk about a quote. All my clients are reading All About Love right now. We're in the Bell Hooks series and All About Love is the very first book. It's uncomfortable as hell to read. I even be telling my clients that I was a little uncomfortable but oh. uh, over this past week. My client was getting down to the nitty-gritty of self-esteem and the impacts of love on self-esteem. And so I wrote it down literally on my little notes on my side. This is where I see client said, my little notes. And so something I wrote down was the wounded heart learns self-love by first overcoming low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And even reading that, like it makes my heart like start going, whoo. <laughs> and me and my client were really breaking down how self-love impacts self-esteem and how. When we're able to work on our own self-love and receive love how that even empowers us and so I've been trying to throw this quote into different conversations and now we're here today and I'm curious what you're thinking about it Donika.
1: Hmm. The wounded heart learns self-love by first overcoming low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Yeah Um. I mean it does it feels I mean it kind of feels cringy to me just like thinking like you can't even love your yeah. you, you can't you can't love yourself without loving yourself it's kind of weird I can't, I'm trying to I'm trying to process it mm-hmm. um but like yeah this piece of low self-esteem I think that in general uh just thinking of my clients and even just people around me I, I feel like it's it's the word low self-esteem is not used um mm-hmm. enough maybe um but i mean yeah from i mean i'm thinking of it from all different types of um like intersections of your life too right and how that looks different so maybe you don't experience low self-esteem in the workplace but showing up in a relationship you do or maybe uh you know, in your home and your space and maybe the way that looks like and how you show up and taking care of your space. Maybe you've experienced low self-esteem or whatever it is, like how it looks different in these different spaces too um, and how that all comes together. And when I hear like the wounded heart, I think of relationships, um, with yourself that's what this, I feel like that's what this talking more about like your self-love but I can't help to think about how low self-esteem and self-love impact your relationships with other people mm-hmm. but I feel like this quote is talking about you which is good um but yeah like I mean you have to feel good about yourself and like protecting your heart and also um like really what is the word I'm looking for what's it called when you go back in time and I mean oh it's called hill what? like healing <laughs> it's called <laughs> black women healing pie it's called healing yeah <laughs> yeah that right there like you have to heal some things but I know it's a lot of words uh what are you thinking Candace, about this quote
2: listen it hit home first of all I love bell hooks so all of the quotes to be like mm. yes,
1: yes woo.
2: <laughs> but it hit home because I think to your point Donica the wounding often comes from the previous relationships, parent relationships, community relationships, romantic, like platonic, all of that. And you learn through those relationships whether or not you're worthy, like inherently worthy of good things, inherently worthy of love. Now relationships can't determine that, but that's the evidence you get along the way. And so when you're wounded, you're like, oh, I got to repair all of that before I even get to self-love. Like I got to divest from all these things I started to buy into about myself, all of these things that made me think I was flawed or made me think I was broken or made me think that I wasn't enough. I have to repair all of that before I even get to self-love. So it's differentiating mm-hmm. for me, the repair work of rebuilding your self-esteem after living in a racist and sexist and heterosexist and all of those things world and then self-love is like that practice. Cause you know, bell hooks breaks it down. Like love ain't just an emotion you feel it's a practice. And so it's like, before you get to the practice in any consistent way, you got to kind of repair some things. And so that's why I love y'all's podcast because that healing process is the repair process, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I wanted to say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even just hearing you break that down it makes me like, gives me chills. And I was telling my client, like, I have like this love hate relationships with bell hooks work, but hate in the best way possible. Cause it's like, I love that, like, I'm learning this, but I hate that it's like so in your face. Like, she's you get read for
2: filthy, filthy.
0: For real, like reading through it, I'm like, oh my gosh, right. I got to read this, but at the same time, I don't want to. Like my client was saying- at me
2: from the dead. Like
0: <laughs> My client was like, you said every chapter three and four, but I just couldn't do it. I read three and I gave it all I got before. is not going to see me this week. It's going to happen next week. And I was like, I'm right there with you.
2: <laughs> yeah. You got to take that one chapter at a time. So I really appreciate you using that bibliotherapy because a lot of clients, they need something to hold on to. And yeah. that one chapter is enough. <laughs> Yep.
1: (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for engaging in that with us. And so I'm going to go ahead and introduce you. So today we have Dr. Candace Nicole Hargens. Um, She is an award winning associate professor of counseling psychology at the University of Kentucky, where she studies sexual wellness and liberation. She is the host of Fuck the System, a sexual liberation podcast, and How to Love a Human a liberation podcast that asks people with multiple marginalized identities what the world would be like if it loved them. She has published over 50 research articles and has been featured in the Huffington Post, the APA Monitor, Good Housekeeping, Women's Health, Blavity, Cosmopolitan, and the New York Times. Her debut book, Good Sex, will be published by Row House February 2025. Wow, this bio is bomb (laughs) thank you um i get it now like okay yeah absolutely podcast i'm seeing it i'm hearing it research articles university of kentucky i remember i remember this bio now okay because you know i don't know if you know but i'm from kentucky i'm from i did not know
2: that what part louisville i'm from oh i live in louisville
1: oh my goodness yeah i'd
2: be commuting back and forth because you know louisville got a little bit more of us and i needed that in my life.
1: my freshman year I went to University of Kentucky too shut up and then I transferred to University of Louisville and then you know moved out here for my master but this is so nice to like you know that I I I have I that we don't have connection but how we're like actually getting small world yeah no that's wild is your family still here yeah yeah all my family's still in Louisville actually will be there in September so oh nice (laughs) is wild okay well thank you so much um Dr. Candace Nicole Harkins for coming in today and joining us um and so you all today we're going to talk about good sex um so how did the topic of good sex become an interest for you
2: okay I'm gonna take you way back back in time to the mid-90s <laughs> when I was coming up and <laughs> I've always been a sexually precocious person so Very early on, I was like, oh, when am I going to develop boobs? And when is my body going to change? And I wanted to find out about all of that good stuff. And so my grandma had a set of Encyclopedia Britannica. And I was in there just looking through the pages, figuring out like, okay, what is puberty? What are hormones? And all of this. So like that biological side of it. But then, you know, I grew up in the hip hop era. We just celebrated the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And so I came up with Foxy Brown and Lil' Kim and women who were talking about sex and being empowered around their sexualities or disempowered around their sexualities. And some of the, some of the hip hop that I was listening to, but challenging it, you know, trying to, trying to work through that. And so thinking about how I carried all of that, I always wanted to be somebody that was informed. I was a really smart black girl in a world that doesn't really support really smart black girls. And so I was like, well, let me find the information on my own. And that, part of the process. In addition to my granddad having a stash of porn and the BHS tapes in the back and the Holy Bible, which my grandmother was bumping, like all of these, all of these things were like related to, or they talked about, or prevent, tried to prevent you from having sex or thinking about sex. But I was like, nah, I'm, I I want to learn everything I can learn. So for me, it started very early on. And then for the evolution of my career, I ended up like, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist at 16 and I wanted to do sex therapy when I became like in my, when I was in my master's program, I was like, I'm coming to do sex therapy. I want to work with clients around sex. And then one of my professors was like, I really think you could be a great professor. And so that helped introduce me to the research side. Cause I didn't even think about the research side of the career. I just wanted to talk to people about it. So when I found out sex research was a career, I was like, oh, I can do both as a psychologist. Bet. And so that's kind of the way the journey went. Yes,
1: yes. No, I love to hear it. I love, I mean, I think that it's beautiful when we know what we want to do sometimes. And it it, it
2: And sometimes you go, I went a different route, oh, but okay, okay. But yeah. you
1: landed, but you came back. Yes,
2: yes, yes. I taught high school English for a few years. You know, you had to take oh, wow. a take okay, a couple okay. turns here and there.
1: But it came yeah. back, yeah, full circle. Um, yeah, no wow. Um, so I mean, in thinking of that. Um, I mean I th- like you just said like is it is most definitely like hid from us the, the topic of sex in general even people probably listening to this even like people who are you know adults yep. hearing like good sex those words probably like oh whoa um or maybe even depending on our uh, <laughs> our title it yeah. might either people are more interested or people get kind of like scared away from it right I
2: do Ooh, yeah do. <laughs> and so here- because they feel like if they're talking about sex they're doing something wrong right because we get these messages about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate and sometimes they they mess up our ability to talk about things that are really meaningful and important to us
1: exactly yep yeah. So it sounds like for you though and thinking of like your comfortability with it, uh, a lot of it had to do with like your own like uh, like search for like you just said like going to school and finding communities. Like it doesn't yeah. sound like you kind of had that in your own community growing up of like that liberation piece of it.
2: No, I think people were behaving in ways that were more sexually liberated than they wanted me to behave. <laughs> so, uh-huh. They were they were acting in sexual ways. Like I come from a family system where I don't share the same two parents with any of my siblings, you know, so people were doing them. Do what I say, not as I do. Thank you. (laughs) And all of that, you know, it came back to, I think at the core of it, wanting to protect me, wanting to ensure that as a black girl, I got to college and realized the best things in life, but never given the conversation of like, you can be both. You can be a sexual person and a successful person. You don't have to be one or the other
1: hmm Yeah, absolutely. Um. So in talking about this next question, it says, can you share with our guests um, and us the top five components of good sex? And yes.
2: Okay. So me and my team did a research study where we surveyed like 500 Black people and asked them, tell me the top three words that define good sex for you. And so when we put it all together, we analyzed those data, we got 20 words, but the top five are passionate, intimate, fun, pleasurable, and satisfying. So those top five were the things that our sample of Black people throughout the United States felt like really meant something when it came to good sex. And passionate was number one by far. Like over a third of the people were like, we want passionate. That makes the big difference. And then the rest were like 20%, 18%, 14%, stuff like that. Hmm. I guess when when y'all hear those, do any of them resonate? Like, yeah, I need, I like that one. Or it's like, no, that don't really matter to me.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, when I look, when I'm listening to you say this and you talk about passion being the top, I kind of feel like the rest of them don't really make sense without being passionate. If it mm. makes sense. exactly like it, it, like it, for it to be satisfying, pleasurable, fun, intimate, it, it literally, it, it
2: needs to be. Really? Good. See, that's interesting. These are good ways to talk about it because for me, it's like, you can be pleasurable, and it could be satisfying and not passionate, but it depends on how you think about passion. Like everybody exactly defines it differently. What you
1: think about passion. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true what you think about passion. But yeah, no, I mean, this is, I'm just, I'm sitting in it. I'm sitting in these words. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm curious um, your thoughts on the ways that sex impacts one's self esteem. Mm,
2: I think that. It can be impactful. It doesn't always have to be. So sometimes people use sex as a vehicle for healing and sometimes they use it as a vehicle for destruction. Mm -hmm. And that all relates to self-esteem. Like if you feel inherently worthy of goodness, of pleasure, of sex, if you have a sense of pleasure worthiness, then the way you engage sex will be facilitative to your self-esteem. So you won't partner with people who aren't engaging in reciprocal goodness and sharing and stuff like that. You won't partner people who humiliate you or treat you as if you're less than because you made a decision to have sex. But on the other side of it, like if you are experiencing high self-esteem and you're thinking through your sexual decisions from that place, you have a good solid sexual self-awareness then the decisions you make about sex can really enhance and enrich your life overall because there's so many health benefits to good sex. And a lot of people don't realize them because of the context in which they're engaging in sex.
0: Yeah, I'm curious your thoughts about, um, because I've been in a lot of conversations about how sex with yourself impacts your self-esteem. And I'm curious mm -hmm. your thoughts about that. And because I've heard from people that like, once you really get into the rhythm of being able to pleasure yourself when you feel the need to go out and find somebody, but instead of taking that time to yourself, like it does something for you. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious to hear that
2: from your thoughts. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, so it depends on a few things. Okay. The messages you got about solo sex, Mm -hmm. the ones you got growing up and the ones you got in adulthood might be different, but the holistically the messages you got, And then whether or not you think solo sex is something you do before you have a partner or while you have a partner, right? So we just did these papers. One is on Black women and another is on Black men. The one on Black men is under review right now, but we have the one on Black women out. We talk about the messages Black women got about solo sex or masturbation. And y'all can only imagine Let me just ask you to guess where you think most of the messages came from.
0: Yo, parents, let me tell y'all, I had a traumatizing experience. My mom, I don't care about telling nobody. else. my mom walked in on me having solo sex and took me to the doctor and told me to tell the doctor what I was doing. And when I told the doctor, the doctor was like, ma'am, I need you to step out. Thank you. What's about to happen. And the doctor had a whole conversation with me about how healthy it was. Yes i was making a healthy decision with myself make sure you wash your hands x y and z thing when you do decide to have penetration sex yeah right like these are some of the things you can do to be healthy this is my number to contact me if my mom comes in and is like what did y'all talk about Shout your out to your doctor like,
2: though for I handling that
0: i don't think it's appropriate <laughs> to tell you ma'am and my mom was like okay
2: <laughs> so yeah. she, so your I'm mom so panicked basically she hit, oh she hit the panic button she hit the panic button you should
1: saw when she came back in she was shaking in her boots but it oh goes my God. Show what she's learned right mm-hmm. the fact that she took take you to the doctor for what you know like what well, right. take you to the doctor <laughs> urgent, for care. For <laughs> That's the urgent care <laughs> oh my goodness I thought I was in trouble I'm like what did I do I was so confused she was trying to fix you she thought it was oh a
2: Yep.
1: Wow! Wow. Yep. So
2: that story resonates though. I know so many people are going to listen to it and be like, girl, yes, because the shame messages that black women and girls got around solo sex, the sin messages, <laughs> the taboo messages. Mm-hmm. So few of us got messages and I'm so happy your doctor stand stood in the gap for you. Messages that it's normal, that it's healthy, that it can facilitate your own sense of sexual self-awareness that is pleasurable, that, you know, you deserve that type of pleasure. And it's one of the healthiest acts a young person can choose if they're thinking about sex and they don't yet feel ready to do the things that might be with partnered sex or, you know. So I was like that, you know, and I wasn't surprised by any of the findings. I'm sure most people wouldn't be. But when we did the study for Black men, I think, And y'all tell me if you've heard this before, they believed that solo sex was for lesser men. So you only do it if you don't have a good partner or someone to have sex with. But if you have someone to have sex with, that's the preferred main like way. Whereas for a lot of women, we are more likely to experience pleasure and orgasm in solo sex than partner sex. So it's almost flip-flop
1: the stigma of even because even thinking about like masturbation or solo sex for young boys is more accepted it's even like oh yeah he's in the bathroom that's fine but you only are supposed to do that for so long because you're supposed to find somebody to do it with right yes but mm-hmm. then you think of the opposite side where women, it's not, it's like, you're not supposed to do this now. So no solo, or even with people like, and if you don't talk about it, right. right? So it's like, in some ways, I'm guessing the masturbation for a woman, it's like, this is the safest space that you could really have. Nobody really wants you to do. It, it needs to be a secret. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about it. And you you really don't need to talk about having sex with other people in general. But I think for, for men, it's most definitely, <laughs> it's different. Right, yeah. it's encouraged. You need to. You could do it yourself. You still, still don't talk about it. Like I said, I'm t- growing up. I just remember for the young boys. They'd be like, oh, he's been in the bathroom for a minute. You never mm-hmm. heard that about young girls though. Even you know, even though it's happening. Yep. You've never heard. Oh, they're in their room or whatever in the bathroom. You know no the boys. Oh yeah. Let leave him alone. Let him do his thing. Um, and then, but again, it's not forever. It's not like encouraged. You don't hear about like oh yeah, that grown man is in the bathroom, right? Right,
2: (laughs) when grown men be in the bathroom all the time. Like, so so it's, and it's so normal. Like most people in our study over like over 80%, I'm sorry, over 80% of the women and only one of the men said like, so I guess 99% of the men said that they engaged in solo sex. So we know it's a common behavior, It's totally normal. And at the same time, all of those negative messages about it make people ashamed to talk about it. So then you think you're the only one doing it. And it's like not at all. Like I made my solo sexual debut around eight or nine, you know, and it's like, for me, that felt like a good time. And I learned a lot about my body before I made my partner's sexual debut. But for a lot of girls and women that I've met, it was like, 16 or 21 or just now in their 30s or 40s after a lifetime of being with people who didn't understand their body and they didn't understand their own body either.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm thinking of like, um, like how have people in your life responded to this interest and in work around sex? Um, yeah. I tend people- to
2: feel pretty supported about it. So when I when I shared that I was so like I said, I taught high school for a few years. And then when I shared I was going back to school to be a sex therapist, my mom was like, "Oh, is that a career?" But what? after that, she was like, oh, "Okay, well, I know whatever you choose to do, you're going to be successful at it. So, you know, do it." And then I was telling my grandma, actually not too long ago, when I got my book deal, I was like, "You know, grandma, about to write a, my first book," and she was like, "What the book going to be about?" And I was like, "Good sex." She was like, mm, "Okay then." <laughs> One word. <laughs> Yeah, it can mean anything with a black grandma, but <laughs> she was like, okay, then she was like, well, shoot, some people going to need to read it. It's like, "Yes, they will.
1: <laughs> that's actually really beautiful to hear, you know, um, like yeah, it, sometimes it don't take too much, even, even that being able to say, yeah, I already know you're going to be good at it or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's nice that you've had that. Um, what about, I'm guessing like even colleagues in different spaces or different communities, like when they find this out about you, this is like the type of work you do. Do they then like want to ask questions? Are yes. they then think you're this? Oh, it's, you need to be having sex all the time. Like you need to. Like
2: is that listen, like- and they and they do be asking questions. Like so, I was sitting at a board meeting. So I'm on the board of um, the American Psychological Association. We were having a board meeting, and they were like, "Okay, so how's the book writing coming along?" And somebody was like, "What you writing the book about?" I was like, "Good sex," and they were like that is a topic that's so necessary. And then for like 30 minutes, we just had conversations and people were like, and this is the messages I got. And this is what I learned. And now I'm learning again at this stage in my life. And they're all older than me. They're more senior colleagues than I am, but they didn't get to talk about that when they were coming up in their training programs. Right. I'm, I don't know about y'all. Y'all are in MFT programs, right. Mm -hmm. Or done with your programs.
1: Oh yeah. No, we're, we're done. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I, probably you're more likely to get a sex therapy class than we are as psychologists and it's like what so you know a lot of them didn't have that training and so it's it was it's been very well received i can say it's harder as a researcher to get your work published in mainstream journals because people are still navigating like the taboo around that so I have to publish in specialty journals that speak to sexual sexual health research more so but overall like you know i just I just try to make a way for it to move into the profession and be normalized so that people like it's another normal part of human functioning.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, like as you reflect, how do you feel like this work has impacted like your life, your romantic interactions, just like us as a whole? Cause my mind is going, but just follow me, my mind is going back to slavery. And it's <laughs> making me think about how sex was not our choice yep and now that you're talking about good sex almost like reclaiming like yes our bodies in a way yeah. in a very like ancestral way and yeah. just thinking about like our ancestors and this being like a form of liberation for us in 2023 like that's where my mind is going but that's I where interrupt. my
2: mind is it always okay. is and that's where so even when I start some of my articles I have to set that context like this is what the experience of black people was around their sexual identities a lot of times, you know, there was sexual rape, coercion, assault. We didn't have agency over our bodies because people thought we were chattel. And so for us to experience good sex and to reclaim that, that means even we're talking talking back to a lot of these sexual stereotypes. So once slavery ended, the way we stereotyped black women and black men and black trans and queer people around sexualities, it was like we got to reclaim that too. So now that we have agency we have to figure out how we're navigating these stereotypes. So all of it is for me, liberation work. But a lot of times people ask me like, what does that mean? You know, in my own, my own life. And I always let people know, like I'm a human just like everybody else. Like I have a lot of skill. I have a lot of knowledge, but day to day I'm living a life. Like I'm raising a toddler with my husband. Sometimes we'd be like, nah, this ain't it. (laughs) You know, we got to learn again and, and be like, all right, what are we going to do differently now? The good thing is I can go back to my books or my practice and be like, all right, here, let's try some new stuff. But no, nah, sometimes I don't be in a mood either. People just expect you to, you know, always want to do it and stuff like that. And it's like, no, nah, we, you humans going to have ebbs and flows and desire. And it doesn't matter if you're a sex researcher or a sex therapist. Like that's just what we'd be experiencing. Yeah.
1: Anika, yeah, like, are you going to say something? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of, I feel like this is going back a little bit, but like, it makes me, cause you had brought up about this piece of sometimes people, uh, utilizing sex to heal. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so like this feeling of liberation and having sex and healing. And I'm just wondering like your viewpoint on how this could be done. I want to say in like the healthiest way, yeah. sometimes you will talk to people and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm just having sex. It's just what it is, but really mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah. And, maybe there is a liberation to it, but maybe it's not coming from this more healing of the liberation. Right. Um, What are your thoughts on that? How, how people can, if people are experiencing that now or how do people, how can people navigate that? what do you think?
2: Yeah. You gotta be self-reflective. And I know a lot of people don't even have time because of capitalism and you gotta work and work so hard and do so many things to sit down and think like, "Hmm, why am I making the choices I'm making? What's informing those choices? So I always have clients that I work with think through like how you're making your sexual decisions. Are you really feeling like it's your decision or do you feel obligated? Are you feeling like it's your decision or do you feel like you're not going to be loved if you don't, you know, like, and when you get to, to, to the place where you can make your sexual choices from a place of inherent worthiness and wholeness, your sexual choice can be abstinence for years, if that works for you. And it's not like I'm a bad person if I have sex. So I'm abstaining. It's like, no, this is just not a season in my life where I want to have sex for whatever reason, but I know I'm whole and worthy with or without it. Or you can have sex with multiple partners and and kinky ways and all of these things, but it's coming from a place of wellness and a sense of sexual self-awareness where it isn't I feel like I must do this or I don't have control over my sexual desire and urges and drives. But, you know, these are really intentional choices I'm making every day. And most of us have been on various ends of the spectrum, right? Because nobody comes into the world fully perfect and knowing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. So helping people have a lot of compassion around that. So, okay. When I was in my teens, I made these type of choices in my twenties. I want to make different types of choices. In my thirties, I'm evolving. It's going to look like this. In my forties, I devolved a little bit and then it's coming back, you know?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for explaining that. To be honest, um, I don't think about, I've got to ask someone, especially with like your expertise, uh, that question and the way you mm-hmm. explained it was very digestible. Yeah, um, thank you. And I think for sure it's helpful to hear because I, I think you run into that sometimes where people are like, oh yeah, I'm sexually liberated. And it's like, that's awesome. But like you said, are you being reflective? Yeah.
2: Um,
1: like that's a, do you feel comfortable in these decisions? Do you know what? Because a lot is- of
2: people get sex positivity and sexual liberation that's, mixed that's, up, what, right? Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> they're. is. Yeah. They're like, I think I think it means I just got to bust it wide open for everybody. And it's like, it could be that or it could yeah. mean something totally different for you based on your values and what works for you at this stage in your life. And a lot of people, like even my friends who, are Christian or people who are, you know, like they choose abstinence for moral or religious reasons. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that choice either. Some people are asexual and they don't have sexual desire, romantic desire at all. There's nothing wrong with that life and that embodiment of sexuality either. It's just, are you reflective enough to say this is where that came from? So for my Christian girlies or for the girls who are like, I really want to wait till marriage. I'm like, are you doing that? Because you think that, modesty is going to buy you something or are you thinking that that's a good choice for you because it feels healthiest and it feels congruent with how you want to live your life
1: yes absolutely thank you wow. so we needed you
0: as a guest this was <laughs> good. This is such a good breakdown of so many different things on how we're thinking about sex and I don't feel like we have these conversations enough
2: we do right? like
0: we need to be talking about this more and being more open with it
2: And especially across generations, right? Like me Mm -hmm. having this conversation in my 40s with 20 year olds, what you people in their twenties or people in their teens means that, you know, they're going to look to me in a different way than they would appear. And it's like, okay, I, if I'm saying things that are healing and normative and affirming that holds weight and that's important. And then it can, you know, map on to how they choose to navigate their life for the next 15 years.
0: Yes. Exactly. Exactly. I'm curious. Um, as you just like reflect on the episode and your work, what takeaways you have for our listeners? Like, it can be anything, but I know you got something, so I'm I'm all yeah. ears.
2: Yeah. Okay. So for the listeners, I have an activity that I like to encourage my clients to do, and usually when I'm on podcast, I encourage folks to do. It. It's it's real simple. It's called yes, no, maybe so. And so you just get a piece of paper, or you use your phone, whatever works best for you. And in three columns, you got your yes column you got your maybe so column, and you got your no column. And these are all of the things related to sex and your sexuality that you want to, you want to be clear about. So your yes column is like, yes, I want to do that. I've never done it before, but I know I want to try or yes, I have done it. We'll do it again and again and again. I enjoy this. All the things that feel like it like emphatic, yes, you put in that column. And then the no column is like, did it once, we'll never do it again, or don't even have to do it. Cause I already know this ain't that. (laughs) You put that in your no column and list those things. And then your maybe so column is like, okay, it depends on the context. Like, am I on vacation? It could be something different, you know, and like who, it depends on who it is, you know, or is it your birthday? Is it my birthday? You know, like it could, it could be like contextual. So you put the maybe souls in that list. It's like, I'm gonna wait till marriage on this one. Other things I'm gonna do, you know, like there, it just depends on your context. So you write that list down for yourself. And if you're partnered, you can work with your partner on their list too. Like they can do their list and you bring it together and you can talk. But if you're not partnered, it's still important for you to know, because most of us have never had a chance to sit down and say, what do I actually like sexually? What do I not like at all sexually? And what am I curious about or open to depending on what the context is? And so everybody do a yes, no, maybe so list. If you got some good friends that you can talk to, you know, like and a couple of y'all do it together, that that's also a nice way to have community and to have these conversations started.
0: I want to say thank you for your language and um, the way you talk about things because you use very inclusive language, I'm sure you might be aware of that, or you probably are aware of that. I'm you very in-
2: choose- trying to.
0: <laughs> yeah, use very inclusive language that is easy to follow. And the information that you're providing is easy to digest. And I just want to thank you for that because sometimes I interact with people and yes, I'm a licensed therapist too, but sometimes I interact with people and I'm like, I'm gonna have to Google this when we're done talking, or I'm like,
1: I don't know what we just talked about, but all right, you got it. it takes Sorry. time, it, it, it,
2: yeah, it takes yeah. Time.
1: But it's like as you're saying it, yeah, I agree with Marva. It's like clicking, is it's making sense, like it's it's coming through. Uh,
2: so because yeah. if you're listen, this is the way I operate in my work. If my grandma can't understand it, who is not a college educated woman, then what am I doing? Yeah. My goal in coming into the academy was to bring stuff back home. It wasn't to get it and hoard it you know, for people who have a lot of privilege and status.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, we thank you so much. And that thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like this might need to be a part two.
2: We can <laughs> definitely do a part two.
1: We got to talk about the book. You didn't talk about the book,
0: really. What is it called? Where can we find it? <laughs> a little more details.
2: Look, the book is coming out February, 2025. So we got a little time. I'm writing now and it's called Good Sex. So I'm breaking down all of these things that we talked about in, like we just said, digestible ways, using stories, you know, composites of clients. I never use like a single client's experience, but like composites of clients or composites of the research that I have Mm -hmm. written and read and some of the participants that I work with because I do qualitative research. So I like to talk to people about their lives and their stories and putting that in so that you get a story that you can resonate with and then you get some some history and some background and some context, like you were talking about, Myra, like where did this come from in the first place? Why do we think like this? What do we have to go through to get here? And then you get some tips and some skills and some realistic timelines. Cause you know how some of the self-help books be like, All right, three days, then your <laughs> life is gonna change. Like, <laughs> sign me up, sign me up. Like that. Three days <laughs> later, you look the same. And it's like, nah, this is gonna take six months, sis. <laughs> do you have the time and if you don't have some compassion just set the time aside later because i'm gonna be honest with you about how much time it takes to deprogram from all of these scripts
1: it's yes, realistic yeah no i love that and so yeah we most definitely once the once it gets closer or um just in general i feel like this is worthy of a part two it's so much to continue like Marissa, we need to continue talking about this but this was a great start thank you. Um, so yeah we thank you so much